I would hardly call myself a die-hard James Bond fan, but I have to admit that his interactions with Q and M are among my favorites. Why am I talking about Q? The wispy-haired, mild-mannered, bespectacled Q, who looks like he lost his way to a university classroom, is exactly what I have in mind when I think of an ethical hacker. I'll hazard I can do more damage on my laptop sitting in my pajamas before my first cup of Earl Grey than you can do in a year in the field. Just like this is the image I have of an ethical hacker, there's another image I have of hackers. People who sit in dark, dingy rooms in hoodies, jabbing away at their keyboards, coming up with possible permutations and combinations to infiltrate everything from someone's social media account to critical government agencies. Just to test their skills, earn a quick buck, or to make a statement, as in the case of hacktivism. Think Mr. Robot. The secret of the perfect hack. Make it infallible. Hidden within the kernel is a logic bomb. Malicious code designed to execute under circumstances I've programmed. I live for this shit. These are the bad guys, and we generally tend to focus on the bad guys and all that they're up to. But we thought we'd switch it up a bit and tell you more about the good guys in this episode. Why all this talk about ethical hackers today? Because data breaches are becoming not just rampant, but very consequential. Case in point, the recent data breach at the government's Kovin portal, which has 100 crore Indians registered on it. I'm sure you've heard the term ethical hacker being thrown around quite frequently, but what does it really mean? I mean, isn't it an oxymoron because there can't be anything ethical about hacking, right? I mean, that sounds almost as bizarre as saying an ethical break-in or an ethical robbery. Why would that even be a thing? But we do know that there are ethical hackers and, for lack of a better term, unethical ones. But what distinguishes these two categories? How do they help secure our cyberspaces? Who do they work for? What is the sort of work they do? As we move to a more connected world where cybersecurity breaches get more frequent, what does that mean for users like you and me? Why is our data so valuable to bad actors? We explore all this and much more with two ethical hackers and cyber wizards. Joining me today is Vivek Ramachandran and Saket Modi, who take us through not just their journeys as ethical hackers, but decode how hackers exploit vulnerabilities and hack their way through the system to sell data on the deep, dark web. There are only two types of companies, one who know that they've been breached and the others who don't. User data has become the holy grail when it comes to hacking today. I can be hacking you right now and my IP will show like it's coming from Pakistan or from Russia. We've shown how to transfer money from the CFO's account to the CEO's account. 
a very large retail company their main managing director was actually getting hacked and this was actually a public market company the healthcare industry in general becomes a lower hanging fruit for hackers to hack into things like your oxygen pump and vital monitoring devices and all of that can actually be remotely hacked by attackers unfortunately the reality is that the more the hacks will happen the more people understand that this is a very real risk that they are sitting on physical crime isn't paying as much anymore as online cyber crime is get ready to be blown away by just how naive you could be and what's really at stake it's thursday june 22nd i'm your host diareki and you're listening to ethical hacking 101 the bright side of the dark web only on the morning brief from the economic times Let's dive straight into understanding how the queues of the world help the James Bonds of the world. In this case, private and government organizations. How about starting off with getting a definition of what an ethical hacker is from an ethical hacker himself? Here's Saket Modi going fully ethical hacking for dummies on us. So a hacker is simply a person who makes something do that it's not designed to do. Now, when you apply the same concept to technology, if a, a hacker is able to go into a website and is able to extract the username and passwords or your credit card information, a hacker is able to see your inbox. Those are all things that the website is not designed to do, and therefore that is the meaning of a hacker in the technology world. And when you understand how that works, and you're using your skills to protect. companies or individuals or governments from people who use the same kind of skills but in a negative way that becomes ethical hacking and what about the dark web I don't think of dark web as everything that's happening out there is dark when you write an email to me when you send a whatsapp to me remember it's on the web somewhere but everybody cannot see that email everybody cannot see that whatsapp message and therefore that's a part of dark web So dark web is not everything dark it is not indexable by a public search engine by a person who doesn't have authorization to look at your information and that is all your emails that's all your messages that's all your private messages on social media so that's really what dark web is all about but unlike the popular belief dark web is not all sad and gloomy and only being used by hackers probably less than 1% of the dark web will actually be used by criminals while 99% of the dark web simply means that there's information that you're putting there which is dark to the public and and that's for our own interests now that definitions are out of the way let's take stock of recent developments on june 12 there were reports that a bot on the messaging platform telegram was allegedly returning personal data of indian citizens who registered with the coven portal the bot supposedly gave out personal details like a user's name aadhar and passport number upon entry of phone numbers now it's important to remember that the health ministry denied reports of a data breach on the very same day and even the minister of state for electronics and it Rajiv Chandrasekhar said the CERTIN which is the nodal cybersecurity agency in India 
had reviewed the alleged breach and found that the Cohen portal was not quote unquote directly breached. But this is not the first time that health data is being targeted by hackers. In December last year, a ransomware attack was reported on the servers of the All India Institute of Medical Sciences, more commonly known as AIMS. Before we get into all the juicy details about ethical hacking and all that comes with it, I thought I'd ask Saket to explain why hackers have an unhealthy love for PHI or personal health information as well as PII or personal identifiable information. If you think about hospitals in India, they don't really have a regulator which goes in and enforces on what and how do you protect the data of your patients, of the people who are coming to visit you in your healthcare facilities remotely or physically. So that's the reason why I would say it becomes a lower hanging fruit, if I can call it as, for hackers to hack into. Now, what most people don't realize, one fundamental difference between healthcare in India and healthcare in the US is it's almost impossible to think about a large organization in the US where, say, majority of the working population would be doing their jobs without health insurance. In India, that doesn't happen. So in the US, if I go to a hospital, I don't pay any money because everything's taken by the insurance, which is provided by my employer. And that is the reason why if I get information about you, your social security number, your personal health information, which is out there, I can actually go to the hospital and almost impersonate you and get whatever health benefits you have. In India, the concept of health insurance is catching up, but it is still not as popular. It is still not like I remember in India, if I went to a hospital, almost every time I was paying for my treatment. That's not the case in the U.S. And that's the reason why hackers have always loved to hack into U.S. PHI data that's generally more sensitive than Indian PHI data. And also the other way around, culturally, I don't think we've actually been super sensitive about our PII or PHI data. I mean, if we meet somebody in a train and we are traveling together for 18 hours, there's a high chance we end up telling them more than what a hacker would ever find out about us by hacking into our PHI information. Whether embedded in PHI or not, healthcare data is really vulnerable. I get our second guest, Vivek Ramachandran, the ethical hacker, researcher, educator, entrepreneur, to explain why. What most people don't realize is things like your oxygen pump and vital monitoring devices and all of that. These are IoT devices or Internet of Things devices which can actually be remotely hacked by attackers. And this has happened in many hospitals around the world. There have been cases where these hospital management systems have been hacked and even ransomware has been demanded. Ransomware's first alleged casualty. In July 2019, an Alabama family walked into Spring Hill Medical Center to have their baby, unaware the hospital was deep in the midst of a ransomware attack. Now, the family is suing, arguing the cyber attack caused staff to miss troubling signs which resulted in the death of their infant daughter. That's just heartbreaking. To think that a child might have lost its life because the hackers were trying to fill their coffers. And while I get that my healthcare data would seem attractive to a hacker, I can't wrap my head around why a hacker would be interested in data from, say, a food delivery app. I mean... Someone sitting in Siberia knowing I like mutton biryani from Mughal biryani seems a little silly. But 
Vivek didn't think so. User data has become the holy grail when it comes to hacking today. Now, keep in mind though that apart from, of course, the biryani you ate and where you ordered it from, you know, your mm-hmm. name, phone number, your address, sometimes even some financial information, including your credit cards, and at times, depending on what app you've been using, even KYC documents, especially when you use fintech apps today, right? You know, if somebody can get hold of all of this, they can then sell it online to people who may conduct identity theft. So imagine today, there's a new fintech giving away these extremely almost 0% repayment loans or whatever. And you hurriedly put your KYC documents in there. The company gets hacked. Somebody can use that to forge your identity to buy SIM cards because all that's needed is maybe an Aadhaar card copy and some address proof, all of which can now be forged. And then that same SIM card could actually be used to make a terror threat or to blackmail someone. Now, additionally, once they know where you visit, what you do, they can run targeted attacks. So as you said, right, like you love to order mutton biryani from Mughal biryani as an example. Imagine Mm -hmm. tomorrow receiving an email from Mughal Biryani, which basically says, hey, Dia, we have this exciting offer for some of our customers like you who love our stuff. Click here to avail. And as soon as you Mm -hmm. click, maybe that's a phishing site trying to get more information from you. So you've kind of given away the keys to the kingdom when you've given your private info. And that is something the attackers can use to reharvest and try to make more money out of in all of these various ways. And not just me, but all of us have given away the keys to the kingdom to not one, but many apps. In the last few years, data breaches have been reported on online platforms like Domino's, Big Basket, MobiQuick and Air India. I myself have used three of these four platforms. So I wouldn't be surprised if my data is floating around somewhere in some deep, dark corner of the web. But how exactly do these breaches take place? How do these bad actors get a hold of the data in the first place? Here's Vivek breaking it down. Every few days, massive amount of data from private companies is probably being put out as well as sometimes from government agencies. There is basically just a two-step process. So what hackers end up doing is they pick up these juicy targets where they figure there's a lot of individual data available. And that's really where the hacker is going to find a way to, first of all, hack in. And this is typically done by finding a vulnerability in the application, the APIs and whatnot. Once a vulnerability is found, he's going to slowly exfiltrate all of that user and customer data by running automated programs. And many a times, hackers end up running these for many hours, many weeks at times depending on how silently you want to slowly exfiltrate all of that data. Once it is done, what almost inevitably ends up happening is they try to blackmail the company or whoever they've just hacked. And if that does not end up working, then they may actually go ahead and put up all of that data or at least a sample amount in the dark web where they'll probably try to threaten to sell it You know, if they don't receive some kind of a ransom to the highest bidder. And of course, this is the time when they also try to create a hype in the media. So there is a massive amount of coverage and pressure. And many a times this data gets just sold using cryptocurrencies, making that entire chain of transaction very, very difficult to trace back. It's obvious that Vivek and Saket know that they're dealing with a very serious problem. 
India has seen a sharp rise in cyber attacks on both government and private organizations in recent years. Over 14 lakh cybersecurity incidents were reported in India in 2022, which is a threefold increase from 2019 and an 11% increase from the previous year. Investigating all of this with beady eyes on a computer screen and fast fingers on the keyboard are people like Vivek and Sake. At this point of the conversation, my love for thrillers took over and I quizzed both of them about memorable cases that they've handled. Here's Vivek talking about a social engineering experiment of sorts that he conducted. Very long time back we were kind of tasked with checking the security actually off a hospital network and what we really wanted to do is to prove that the entire staff at the hospital was not trained to go about taking cybersecurity seriously. So here's what we had done we created these usb keys and this was a time when people were actually using usb keys and we basically put our attack tool on it so what would end up happening is if someone would take that usb key and plug it to their computer in a way we would take over their computer give them a message saying you've been hacked and you should be more careful about your security and all of that so what we had done there is we basically went ahead took over a dozen of those usb keys and actually put them in places like the toilets near to even the director of the entire hospital when he parks his car literally right outside the car itself we drop it next to one of the tires and incredibly what ended up happening is the hospital staff would kind of go into the washroom suddenly see somebody's left the usb key and uh, very smartly we kind of labeled it as critical data and including the director who probably just picked it up when he saw that a usb key was next to his car and you can imagine back in those days if you put up a 256 gb usb key people would love to just get one for free for what it's worth so we literally had everybody take those go back to their work computers plug it in and immediately of course we told them that hey you could have been hacked and showed this so this was one very memorable instance where really what we had done was use a social engineering attack knowing very well that you know people can't resist seeing a usb key fallen down somewhere and to pick it up and to plug it into their computers yeah i would have fallen for it too i think <laughs> i'll let yeah. me be honest yeah. yeah after a story like that i couldn't help but ask sakit if he'd managed to nab some cyber criminals Now you want to keep this in mind we are not in the business of catching a bad hacker because you will never find unlike the physical world where you find stories like oh somebody was trying to rob a bank and they got caught you would have never almost never read oh this guy got caught at this time when he was trying to hack somebody because hacking doesn't work like that i can be hacking you right now and my ip will show like it's coming from pakistan or from russia so even if right. you are a very important person in india it is next to impossible for you to find out who is really hacking you because that's just the way how the internet works so what do we do coming to your question can you share some interesting stories well we've been working with a lot of companies in doing ethical hacking for them so we hack them and i can tell you probably there've been two dozen banks where we've shown how to transfer money from any account to any account we've shown how to transfer money from the cfo's account to the ceo's account 
we've shown airlines yeah. how to book tickets for one rupees or one dollar. We've shown health information being altered. So I remember us hacking into a hospital which is specializing into cancer and we were able to get in and change your health records to say you don't have cancer to you have cancer. So in reality, you might still not have it and I can change it and it can be the other way around also. Sure, but then what is the motivation of that threat actor then? That's what I'm getting at. What is Uh, he or she getting out of that? A number of things. So the first piece that the hacker would want to do there is, and this happened during COVID vaccinations also. Think about it. If I wrote an email to you saying, Dia, looks like you went for a test last week to so-and-so hospital. Unfortunately, your tests came back. This is the kind of cancer you have. But, which is not curable, there is one test going on for a new kind of way to solve this and way to cure this particular type of... It's still in the process of being approved by the FDA, etc., etc. However, I can get you access to that but you have to be among the first 25 people to apply mm. for it. Here is a link. Please enter your credit card details. What do you think uh. is a probability that a person will actually click on that and give their credit card details and pay, I don't know, 1 lakh, 2 lakh, 5 lakh, 10 lakh rupees? From impersonations and identity theft, we now move on to something that really excites me. That's corporate espionage. If you thought corporate espionage was a thing reserved for Madhur Bhandarkar films, here's Vivek narrating an episode that has all the makings of a Netflix original. So a while back, a very large retail company, you know, their main managing director was actually getting hacked. Like no matter whether he changed his passwords, how many times they changed it, somehow the hacker was able to log into his account pretty much the very next day. And this was something very baffling to the entire organization. So then they brought us in and we looked at his office laptop, computer, everything seemed to look absolutely fine. But still he was just getting hacked. His passwords were always out in the open. Now, when we started researching more, what we realized is that this person was ordering all of his e-commerce, you know, kind of like gifts and everything from this very large retailer. And... What had happened was the hacker had actually Mm. gone ahead and sent him a brand new access point, which is the Wi-Fi access points that all of us have at our homes. Right. Pretending to be that retailer as if you were actually getting a loyalty gift. So imagine today receiving a mail from one of the top retailers like Amazon saying, hey, thank you for being such a loyal customer. Here is like a free top tier access point that you can use in your home to get like way better wireless coverage. Now, what would you do if you received that? You'd probably just unpack and put it in your home network, right? Yeah, I would have done that. (laughs) So now when we started looking at it, what the hacker had done is that wireless access point which was sent to that top person in the company, that was backdoored with the hacker software. So now anytime that the managing director tried to access any website, enter any account, It was doing a transparent man-in-the-middle attack over SSL and all of that and siphoning out his usernames and passwords. So, amazingly, he had his laptop which was secure, the office network was secure, but really what he fell prey to 
was just this human excitement that oh i have received something so nice for free and i want to use it and this is something which happens time and again people don't realize that most of corporate espionage and all of that happens by targeting the weakest link in the chain which is people and how they think and you know exactly what they would end up doing in certain circumstances like imagine today right after this you know i sent you something very interesting and said hey dia this is a custom gift that we've prepared for everybody we speak to here you go and you pick it up you connect it to your home network and that becomes a backdoor right you would never suspect that's crazy but i also wanted to ask like what was the motive for that particular hacker right vivek when you found right. out that this is what was happening what was his motive and Very why important. that man in particular yeah so actually the top person who they had hacked and this was actually a public market company and really as you notice in public market companies when a large or a very big announcement is going to happen that ends up affecting the share price of the company and this is really where what organized hackers were trying to do was they wanted to break into some of these top executive laptops and try to siphon out data so they could figure out if the company had a very good or bad announcement planned in the coming days and once they get to know about it they end up buying or selling shares of that company before that event happens so now imagine oh. public market executives laptop is hacked they is going to make a big announcement saying oh we've had 10 billion dollars in profit and if you got to know that a month back right you could end up buying stocks at a lower price and when that announcement happens you could end up selling, selling at a higher it. price because the stocks would go up and this funny enough there are no victims in this crime because the person didn't lose his data the data didn't go online but no one in the world knew that here is this hacker who's end up making money on stock price which otherwise may just seem like a very legitimate bet in which somebody made great money so what ended up happening to this hacker so you know unfortunately hacking is a borderless crime and the most we could trace back was some server was used in some country but beyond that server itself was hacked and the attacker had used it just as a staging point for his attacks so if you go to most cyber crime departments most of the cases they end up handling are very very simple ones is someone blackmailing or revenge porn and stuff like that which is very jurisdictional in nature uh, but the real crime especially the one done by professional hackers or hacker groups most of the time unfortunately goes unpunished no one ever really gets caught and that is the reason why i would assume that more and more of criminal groups are probably going to end up investing in building their own hacker groups because physical crime isn't paying as much anymore as online cyber crime is borderless crime or not hacking is going nowhere in fact our guest made it very clear that the instances of cyber attacks are only set to increase and unfortunately most of our companies are quite unprepared to deal with the grave risks that come with data breaches india does not have strong cyber security regulations yet and even corporates at their end are quite vulnerable Investing more on securing systems and being prepared for a breach rather than doing damage control once it has occurred is crucial. 
Prevention is truly better than cure when it comes to health and cybersecurity. And maybe the need of the hour is for the government to push for more stringent cybersecurity protocols to be followed across the board rather than just the RBI looking to secure payments and financial data of citizens. I came across a really fascinating point that stood out while I was going through a team lease report. It said 90% of the data that exists today was created in the last 2 years alone. Ironically, more data will be produced in the next 5 years than has been produced since the inception of digital storage. With all this data and so much at stake, cybersecurity is no more a luxury but a necessity. I know going back to Nokia brick phones isn't really an option any longer when everyone wants to have a smartphone that is pretty much your everything rolled into one device. I know I wouldn't give it up. But there's something our guest said that stuck with me. There's a cost for the convenience. And we pay that cost by putting our data and privacy on the line. And no, switching from WhatsApp to Signal isn't the answer. But yes, not having your Instagram password as Instagram one two three or Twitter password as Twitter one two three certainly will help. So please do yourself a favor and begin by setting passwords that hackers will have to scratch their head a bit for at least. With such a large population and one that is embracing digital technologies, the potential for transformation is massive, but the risk is equally large. The trick is not to let your very human tendencies like snagging a freebie or panicking when you see a threatening email make you fall prey to the devious ways of hackers. I started the episode with the James Bond reference and I'll end it by saying that while Q said he can create more damage than Bond sitting in his pajamas with nothing more than a computer, it's nice to know that Q is an ethical hacker and not one of the baddies. In a world of Mr. Robots, be a Q. We need them as much as we need James Bonds. Thank you Vivek and Sakit. It's Thursday, June 22nd. I'm your host Diareki and you've been listening to Ethical Hacking 101: The Bright Side of the Dark Web on the Morning Brief from the Economic Times. This episode was produced by Surohini Jain, sound designed by Indranil Bhattacharji and Rajesh Nair. Executive producers Anupriya Nair, Anirban Choudhury and Arijit Verma. Do like, share and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode of the Morning Brief that drops every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday on a listening platform of your choice. All clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits are mentioned in the description.